And Jesus' blood has everything to do with covenant. And I'm going to share a little bit about covenant that he made with Abraham later. Not today, but later. And But then the scripture says that because of his blood, we have a better covenant. Okay, so we're on the backside of that better covenant. We ought to be doing more. We ought to be living more different than anybody else, than the other believers before us, than anything in the world has to offer. And yet, it seems as if we're trying to become more and more like the world. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm studying this, and so I apologize. But when you, when you get the scope of what His blood did for us, but what it cost Him, and it brought me back to Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to read this out of the NIV because this is how I memorized it. But my NIV, which is the 84 one, and what you're going to see may be a little different, but you'll get the gist of it. And so in doing this, I apologize, but I've gone back to the NIV on like the first two or three scriptures and then one towards the end. And the rest will do ESV again. But Here's what Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says. And, you know, this may not mean much to you right now, but I, I'm praying that it will later after we talk about the blood of Jesus. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And, you know, if you're young, I want to tell you, you can live a godly life in this world. You can. If you believe in Jesus Christ, He's given you the ability to do that. He's given you His grace to be able to do that. And it says that His grace will teach us to say no to the things of the world. And it also teaches us to say yes to the things of God. How awesome is that? And, you know, um, in our line of salvation, you know, there's so many people that just want to get you saved so that you know you're going to heaven. Well, that's great. But, you know, what, what about getting saved so that you can become more like Christ? Down here. Wouldn't that be a better life? Than being miserable knowing that one day you're going to be in heaven and you're going to see him. But down here you did absolutely nothing for him. So he says. Verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Which is a struggle for everybody nowadays it seems. And to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age. So right now. And then verse 13 says. While we wait. So as Paul's writing this, he's giving us an understanding that, yeah, okay, you're not there yet. You're not in heaven yet. But while you wait, you have the ability to live a godly life. You have ability to live a self-controlled, upright life pleasing unto God. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all 
wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. What does that mean? It means that we look like him. It means that we act like him. It means that we talk like him. It means we see things like he sees them. Eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. It's painful to see how many believers have either never known this truth or worse yet have known it and walked away from it thinking that God's grace allows them to walk any way they want it according to their own desire and God just has to deal with it. He's got to put up with it. And that is so contrary to the word of God. He enables us. The grace of God enables us. Plus, we've got the power of God's word. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So there ought to be no excuse for us. And I realize all of my life I've preached that becoming like him is a process. And yes, it is a process. Yes, we are going to make mistakes. But we ought to be gaining on it. We shouldn't be regressing in our becoming like Jesus. And when it says it teaches us to say no to the world's way, you know what I believe that he's really saying is it teaches you to say no to your will. Because that's all the world is about is itself. It's, it has nothing to do with God. It's there to elevate you. And so when the, the grace of God teaches us and enables us to say no to the wickedness of this world then we have the ability to say no to ourselves. And we can say, yes, God, to you. Yes, God, I lay my life down before you. Yes, God, your will be done in my life. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. And you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When I was a young believer, I, and I've told you this story before, but I, I got to tell you again. I struggled with God loving me. I mean, I just thought, God, there's so many other people that you ought to love. There's, there's more that are, have done greater things and, you know, just love them. You don't have to worry about me. I mean, I just could not wrap my brain around the love that he has for me. And and I struggled with it for years, but I just kept encountering it all the time. I kept realizing he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And so sooner or later, you just come to the conclusion because he told me, he said, would you quit trying to figure out how I love you and just enjoy it? And, and so it, it was a process that I went through to enjoy allowing God to love me and enjoy being loved by God. Because... When, when you know that you're loved by God, nothing else really matters. You know, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what your clothes are. It doesn't matter what your hairstyle is. It doesn't matter if you have hair or don't have hair. It doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're on a Daniel fast. Doesn't matter if you are on a Daniel fast. Doesn't matter. He loves us. And it just, it did something in me that said, God, if you love me that much, then I want to love you back and I want to do what is right. And I'm getting that same sense from the Lord as I've been studying this. And, you know, I have to be ahead of you guys. So I'm trusting you guys are going to get it too. But I'm in awe of the importance and the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, I literally am weeping as I'm doing my messages because I'm just like, oh God, this is just so amazing. And then I feel so bad because I'm like, I should have shared this years ago, long time ago. So I won't make that mistake again. Because when you realize his love is revealed in the cross, that's what Romans, Paul says in Romans. But then you realize the cross is gruesome. It's gory. It's bloody. And then even everything leading up to the cross, it's blood everywhere. But God did it for a reason. Y'all need to pray that I get through this because I'm not making headway. And I need to get through this because there's good at the end. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. And again, I'm, I'm out of the NIV. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then here's the main point. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. And it's a question mark. Because he's posing that. Don't you get it? Don't you see that he's in you? And, and so he's saying your body is not your own anymore. You can't just do with it whatever you want. It's not your will. It's his will. And then he says you are not your own. Look at somebody and say you are not your own. And then he says in verse 20, you were bought with a price. So look at him again and say, you were bought with a price. So if you're not your own and you've been bought with a price, then this is what he says. Therefore, honor God with your body. So what's he saying? Let's break it down into our day. It's not your will anymore, but his will be done in your life. That's what it means to honor God in your body. You don't get to choose what you like and what you don't like. You choose it according to what His Word says. We have strayed so far from this truth as believers. And I believe that God is calling us back to this truth. You know, the world has already been there. It's been there a long time ago. It's, again, it's doing its own thing. I'm not concerned about what the world is doing as much as I'm concerned what we aren't doing and what we aren't becoming. And so as I've been working through this, my prayer has been that we come to our senses with this truth as we see how much love the Father has for us to send us Jesus. And that in and of itself is amazing. But what's also as amazing to me is the willingness of Jesus to come, to leave heaven, 
and to come and to be like us so that he can become our sacrifice, our living sacrifice, which means that he was willing to come because of his love for the father and because of the father's love for us and therefore his love for us. He was willing to come and die for us to shed his blood for us to become our sacrifice so that we could be in right standing with God again, so that we could know who our God is, our creator, and to know that he is the lover of our souls and you will never find anybody who loves you more than God loves you. You can look at it in all the other places that you think you're going to find it. You can turn over every rock that you can find. You can meet it with any person that you think is going to fulfill. But I'm telling you, there's nobody and there's no love like the love that God has for us and He's given to us through Jesus Christ. My prayer has also been that we, that as we look at the blood of Jesus, the covenant that God has made through His Son, that we see that there is Life and death, blessings and cursings are before us every day. And we've looked at that in the past. But that we always choose life. That we're willing to choose life all the time. And so as we look at the blood of Jesus Christ, I, I want to lay out some foundational scriptures for us first. And we'll see how this all ties into the better covenant that God has for us. And the first one is in Revelation 13.8. And again, this is out of the NIV. Revelation 13.8 says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names who have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. And it's the last part that I want to focus on because in the NIV it says creation of the world, but it's the foundation of the world. That the Lamb of God was slain before God began to do anything. Before He created you and I. In his mind, he had already sacrificed himself, his son. That's amazing. Before anything ever came to be, the Lamb of God was slain for our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ was settled on. Think about this. I mean, this is like, maybe we need to take a break here in just a minute. But the blood of Jesus Christ was settled on. It was decided on and offered by God before He set the universe in motion. Isn't that amazing? That means that the blood of Jesus is so important to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is, uh, we're back to ESV now, but this, this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? So we can call each other new lumps. Just don't be a lump on a log. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Isn't that amazing? I want you to pay attention to that. For Christ, our Passover lamb. Our. Everybody say our. Our Passover lamb. Has been sacrificed. Christ is our, wait a minute, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. It may take you a while, that's why I'm giving you a head start. But Christ is our Passover lamb and God instituted the Passover celebration just before the Israelites were freed from the land and bondage of the Egyptians. And the Passover that we're going to look at as it was instituted is what we celebrate when we take communion. Okay? We're remembering that. We're remembering Christ, the Passover, our Passover lamb. Okay? And so, what we have to realize is that Passover was costly to the Israelites and it was costly to Jesus. And after the nation of Israel left Egypt, God gave them his plan to remember him and this Passover, the, the lamb of Passover. There are seven feasts that are to be kept. Some say six, but we'll throw one in that is kept every week. The rest of the six are throughout the year. Okay. The first one is the Sabbath and that is basically, and this is found in Leviticus chapter 23. You work six days and then you have a day of rest on the Sabbath. And you're remembering God. You're remembering his faithfulness. You're celebrating him. Okay. The very next one starts the feasts that are celebrated throughout the year. And the first one listed is the Passover. And that's in Leviticus chapter 23 verses 4 and 5. He says, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord. The holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them in the first month, <laughs> excuse me, on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So this is the first feast that he mentions. He tells them when they're going to do this Passover. OK. Now, the other ones are listed, but we're not going to deal with them right now. But I want you to remember that whenever you see something first in the scripture, that brings it to really importance. Okay? So when he's mentioning Passover feast first, then that, that gives it great importance. Okay? Now what's amazing to me is, is that God wants us to learn to celebrate the Passover. The death of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. He doesn't ever want us to forget that. He always wants that before us. So, 
if we're going to have a right understanding, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. So if you were in Leviticus, just go to your left in your Bible. Exodus chapter 12. We're pretty much going to park there until towards the very end. So, in Exodus chapter 12, the nation of Israel went down to Egypt and was saved because of Joseph. And he became head of Egypt other than the Pharaoh. And remember, there were seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. Joseph was over all of that. People were going down to Egypt to get their stuff. Well, <coughs> Joseph's dad and his sons were able to make it down. They were saved. Pharaoh was grateful. He let them stay there. They became great in number. And we have, I think it's at least three, maybe four pharaohs later. He's forgotten about all of this. He's forgotten about how good the... Israelites, the nation of Israel was to all of the world, especially into Egypt. And so he doesn't like the the nation of Israel. He's making life hard for them. They're basically slaves. In Exodus three, we get the call of Moses to come and be their deliverer. Okay, so there's the plagues that are taking place. We find ourselves Exodus chapter 12, verse one. And it says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the of the year for you. Okay, now let me just pause here for a moment. Last week when Christy was sharing, because we're following the Jewish calendar, she always shares that even though this is a new month for us, a new year for us, it's not for the nation of Israel. This is why, because God is instituting. This is so important. He's like, look, I'm changing your calendar. This is first. Okay. This shall this month, verse two, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Okay, so he's given instructions. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Okay, so this is the doorway. This is the entryway into their house. So they're supposed to kill the lamb, take his blood, and put it on the doorpost and the lintel, which is the top. Okay? But they're going to do it on the top first and then the side. Alright? We'll get to that later. 
They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. So now he's telling them how they're going to eat it. And there's a reason for this, and we'll get into it later. But with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Okay? So in other words, they're going to have to be ready to eat this and then go. All right? Then he says in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now we're going to skip down to verse 21. And he says this, Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Okay? So now the day has come. This is going to be Passover. All right? So he's giving them instruction. So they take hyssop. They dip it in the blood that's in the basin. They put it on the lentil. Then they put it on the sides. All representing the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? All symbolic. Him being the Passover lamb. But here's the important thing that I want us to see, and I'll, I'll deal with it later, but I want to just give it to you now. He says that when you do this, he says that no one goes outside of the house. There's a reason. Everybody's to stay inside of the house until morning. Because the protection is only on, on you when you're inside the house. If you're outside of the house, you have no protection from the blood. And so it's very important that we get this as well. That the blood was in the basin. They put it on the, the lintel and the doorpost. But you have to stay in the house. You're not to go out. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. Everybody say forever. And when you, uh, 
And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Verse 29 then. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt and there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And so it happened. Okay? So the Lord passes over all the Israelites that had the blood on their doorposts, but the Egyptians died. Firstborn. If you were to keep reading this, I want to jump down to verse 46 just to give you a key because God is so particular, so methodical and systematic, and He already knows what He's doing. But in Exodus 12 46, it says this It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house and you shall not break any of its bones. That was prophetic of Christ. Because when somebody was hanging on the cross to help them in the dying process, they would break their legs so that the weight of their body would fall. But it says here that they're not to do that. They're not to break any bones in this lamb that is sacrificed. You see, this is a picture of Jesus. This is what happens when we give our life to Christ. His blood washes over us. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. I mean, all of the great stuff, and we're going to get into that later. Not today, but later. There's so many benefits from the blood of Jesus Christ, but this is all a picture of Jesus, our Passover lamb, slain before the creation of the world for us because God loves us. And obviously, Jesus loves us as well. God the Father and God the Son are so gracious as well as God the Holy Spirit. So kind, so loving to provide for us a way back to Him. That we didn't earn it. There was nothing that we had to do. We didn't work for it. It was given to us. Because we simply trusted in Jesus being our living sacrifice. Our Passover lamb. The lamb that takes away the sins of the world. 
to see what God has provided or to see that God has provided our complete freedom and victory through Jesus Christ and his blood. It is the most sacred, important, important message of the scripture. It's throughout all of scripture. When you see this, you understand it's throughout all of scripture. From the beginning, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Without Jesus' blood, we have nothing. We have nothing. His blood has made us clean. We listened to the video. Wasn't that an amazing song? That was Natalie Grant clean. His blood has made us clean and righteous. And it has given us the ability to live above the curse of sin. It allows us to be able to say no to the things of this world. No to our will and yes to the things of God. Yes to the will of our Heavenly Father, our Creator. There is supernatural power that is activated in our lives when we align ourselves, our thoughts, our words, our actions with the truth that is found in our blood covenant with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm hoping that you see this as we progress in this. But I want you to understand this this morning. That Jesus' blood and His shedding of His blood was by no chance accident. Okay? It wasn't a chance encounter with humanity. God stood at the beginning of time and looked down through all of history. And knowing what was coming, He carefully and systematically planned the rescue He knew we needed. What a wonderful, wonderful, loving Savior. You guys are doing great. I'm almost done. I can't believe this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, please. Revelation chapter 12. We will get into this scripture later, Lord willing. But I, this is a foundational scripture and I wanted to give it to you. Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him. Or some translations say overcame him. This is the enemy. By the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. We overcome. We conquer. By the blood of the lamb. By the word of our testimony. And when he says. For they love not their lives even unto death. It means that it wasn't their will. But it was God's will. If they died they died. They were going to serve God no matter what. If things were going great. They were going to serve God. If things weren't going great, they were going to die. They weren't rejecting God. They were sticking with God. If they died, they died. How powerful is this? 
Have we ever thought about how costly it was for God to make man? It was costly because man would have free will. And with that free will, we would be led into sin. Opening the door to eternal separation from God. And this was never God's intention. God's heart's greatest intention was to be joined with us forever. And because of his tremendous love for us, he prepared to pay the price for his children with his very own blood. First John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Stand with me if you will. Not that it's going to make much difference, but I do want to read this out of the NIV version. Again, that's what I cut my teeth on, and so I just happen to like it. First John 3, 1 in the NIV. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And we thank you for the demonstration of that love through Calvary. And Calvary meant the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. The pouring out of the blood of Jesus Christ. That when we come into you through faith in Jesus, your blood covers us. And you pass over us. Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. Cause us to know in a greater measure, in a deeper way. The power, the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we come to understand it better. May we endeavor to walk in a manner worthy and pleasing of you all the days of our life. May we lay hold of your grace through the blood of Jesus Christ that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and the passions of this world. And it teaches us to say yes to you. To righteousness to godliness while we wait. While we wait and live in this precious time. Father, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Teach us to say no to our will and yes to Your will. And Father, as we continue on this fast, no matter what it looks like for each of us, differently as it may be. Thank you that we're drawing close to you. And we learned last week, Father, that when we draw close to you, 
you draw close to us. And we count that a great joy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.